Welcome to the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Faster games, more hits, more stolen bases. Is this the new baseball? The new season is underway with lots to talk about, and no better time for us to bring something new as well as we relaunch the MLB Trade Rumors Podcast. Each week, we'll speak with a range of guests with their finger on the pulse of Major League Baseball. Our very own Anthony Franco is standing by ready to lead things off. Super excited to be bringing you baseball chat, analysis and insight on a weekly basis. Now, of course, you can get that 24-7 as well at MLBTradeRumors.com, but also in your inbox Monday through Friday by subscribing to the MLB Trade Rumors newsletter. Every weekday morning, Cliff Corcoran tells you what you need to know from the world of baseball straight to your inbox. It's free, and you can sign up at mlbtraderumors.com forward slash newsletter. All right, let's get into it. And joining me on this very first episode is MLB Trade Rumors writer Anthony Franco out of Buffalo, New York. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on. We're at that stage of the season where it's so easy to overreact to your favorite team start. But what about those new rules? Are we overreacting to those or do we have a new faster baseball going forward? Yeah, I definitely think the game is moving faster. I, I love the pitch clock. I've been a fan of the pitch clock since it was put into the minors a couple of years ago. Um, I was actually listening to an opening day game, uh, Rangers Phillies on the radio. Um, and I'm, it hadn't even really occurred to me that I was thinking about the pitch clock. And then it's just like, as I'm listening to the pace of this game, I'm like, wow, DeGrom's moving really fast today. And it's just like, oh, yeah, he has to now. So that's it's been great. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you're watching the beat people and they're always tweeting out, like, time of game, two hours and 24 minutes. And yeah. the game will be like 10 to 6. So I definitely love the pace. Uh, how do you feel about the rule changes, the stolen bases, the shift in? What's your take on those? Yeah, well, I, I, I love the shift change because I appreciate the, you know, the, the analytics and, and the work that, that front offices do to, to give themselves a competitive advantage. But at the end of the day, I want to see these high-level athletes diving for plays, running around the bases, making catches and, and all that stuff. And I, I think what we're seeing is less plays, you know, less, less balls hit directly to fielders, which is, uh, I think, a big positive. I love the fact that we're seeing more stolen bases. I actually think stolen bases are, are you know, a really fun part of the game. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more of those players, a lot more willing to to run. And I think it's not just the bases doing that, I think, as well. It's the, the pickoff rules as well. So overall, I'm, I mean, I'm a huge fan of these new rules. All they've taken out is, is some dead time. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I love the pace. The, the stolen bases I'm kind of neutral on. It's cool. I like that uh, Ty France can steal a base now. Hmm. That's fun. The shift pen, you know, it's been a good start. I like that there's more hits. Infield defense is always fun to see, like you said. Uh, kind of show off players' athleticism a little bit more. Um, I'm a little bit worried about kind of the long-term ramifications of the shift, but, you know, we can worry about that kind of as it goes. And um, right now, enjoy that there's a few more singles and some better defense. Yeah. Well, let's kick right into it and start with, uh, I guess, a fastball middle-middle. We are called MLB Trade Rumors after all, so that seems like an, an ideal place to start the trade market. Uh, you won't see much happening in early April, uh, of course, but as we look ahead to July... Uh, Anthony, can we can we forecast an eventful trade deadline this year? And is there a Shohei Otani-sized cloud hanging over it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a big question, right? Uh, you know, he might be, if he does become available, it'd be, I mean, probably the biggest name player that we've had moved to the deadline. I know Soto might have returned more because of the two years mm-hmm. of team control. But, 
Otani just in terms of star power internationally. And obviously he's literally a unique talent in terms of what he can do. So that'll be the fascinating story. I guess the question kind of comes down to whether the angels are good enough to avoid that conversation. Right. Mm. Already Moreno, their owner has already talked about, well, they're not going to trade them if they're competing at the deadline. That makes sense. So I know you and I, I think both think that this team could hang around at least the wild card mix. Right. Um, what makes this team different than past iterations, in your opinion, if you feel that way? Well, I, I, I've written, I think, a bit about their rotation. I, I think there's there's plenty of upside in their rotation. I think you've got five starters there. Obviously, you've got Otani at the top. You've got Tyler Anderson as a very good veteran. And I think Sandoval, Reed Dipmers, Jose Suarez, three young, youngish lefties who, who can uh, really be effective starters. And, and so... I, I really like the rotation as a good starting point. I think they've got some solid options in the bullpen. And I like the fringy additions they've made uh, to their lineup as well. You know, we, we know about the star power of Trout and, and Otani in there. But you had guys like Hunter Renfro and Brandon Drury and, and even Gio Urshela. And those, those guys just, well, they might not be the high-profile additions. I think they just deepen that lineup and and uh, make them more of a threat one through nine. So I'm very wary of... of of going in on the Angels because of, we've we've gone in on the Angels uh, for a number of times over, over the past decade or so, but but this year it just feels like they they might be a little bit more competitive than they've been in past years. But it is a tough division uh, with the Astros there, the Mariners there, uh, the Rangers, of course, spending a lot of money. So it's going to be tough for them to contend. And and I wonder when you look at Otani and the deadline and you know whether or not they can re-sign them. Of course, what's it going to take for them to say? We're going to listen to Shohei Otani, do you think? Oh, man. Yeah, I think they would have to be, what, at least four or five games out of the wild card, I, I would think. So. Yeah. Um, like, I just, I can't see any way where it's, if they're within a couple of games, then you can kind of squint and see a path that they would cut bait on the season. Yeah, I, I, I feel like even if, you know, from a pure purely baseball perspective, they, they, you know, if they're out of the race, they probably should trade them and try and get some prospects. But it'd be a tough pill to swallow for the fan base. It'd be tough for the ownership to part ways as well. And and so I sort of feel like uh, the chances of Otani getting moved at the deadline are, are still pretty low. But I just think there's you know a lot of bad things would have to happen for this Angels side to, to trade Otani. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could argue that it was in the best baseball interest to listen, at least listen to offers at last summer's deadline. Mm. And he was kind of in rumors for about... 12 hours and then it was just like no Artie Moreno's not letting that happen they're not going to compete in 2022 but they're not punting in the season in 23 yeah and obviously they made a lot of you know they didn't make a splash upgrade necessarily this winter I guess it kind of depends on how you feel about Anderson but a lot of these kind of mid-level additions the guys that you named towards the bottom of the lineup that just make sure that you're not counting on Joe Adele to take a step forward or giving 350 at-bats to Andrew Velasquez again and we've seen this before, haven't we, with ownership, you know, nixing trades of, of franchise players, even even when it's perhaps been in the best interest of the franchise. Of course, I think back to that move that apparently had Bryce Harper going to the Astros, I think it was, from the Nationals at, just before he hit free agency, which I think got nixed. So it has happened before, and I, I could certainly see it happening again with uh, Shohei Otani. But one team that I'm sure would love to get their hands on just about every star in baseball whenever they come available are the San Diego Padres. Now, they locked up Jake Cronenworth, the infielder, on a seven-year, $80 million deal uh, that takes effect from 2024. So he'll earn his uh, arbitration salary in 2023. Now, the average annual value here isn't particularly onerous for them, but they've now got him, Manny Machado, 
Xander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis, Joe Musgrove, Hugh Darvish, and Robert Suarez all locked up until at least 2027, and some longer, of course. It's a lot of long-term money. And so I wonder, what does this mean for their remaining stars? We look at Juan Soto, Josh Hader, Blake Snell, all guys who have come up as potential extension candidates for the Padres. What does this deal mean for them, do you think? Yeah, I don't think it has a whole lot of effect on Soto. I think if there were any indication that they thought that A, either Soto was, that the deal with Soto was particularly close, or B, that signing Cronenworth would inhibit them from matching Soto's asking price, then I think at that point they just probably wouldn't have done it, you know? Um, because, because I think they already had control over him for another three years, Cronenworth. So I don't think it has any effect on Soto. Um, Hader and Snell are kind of, a little bit different because those guys are both impending free agents and they're not obviously going to cost Juan Soto money. And so, and they're not as Snell perhaps depending on how you feel about their rotation, but not necessarily as impactful pieces as Soto, of course. And so that one, I think you can kind of say like, Oh, okay. They're committing to all these other players. And at some point they're going to have to let somebody go. And maybe that becomes Snell and hater. Whereas Soto, to me, is just kind of his own special case of, is this guy willing to sign for pretty much anything, or is he dead set on going to free agency? And if he's guaranteed to get to free agency anyways, then we need to just kind of build the rest of our roster. Yeah. And and how much does ownership want this guy, right? Like, this is not, you know, really a decision just about for AJ Preller. I'm sure AJ Preller wants to keep Juan Soto um, and would do so, but it's going to come down to ownership when it's such a a huge contract like that. I tend to agree with you. I I think, um, you know, I think any Juan Soto extension goes above and beyond this. But I I mean, I really like this extension for San Diego. I think Cronenworth's a really valuable player, 4.1 if war, Fangraph's war. Uh, Each of the last two seasons, you know, he can sort of bounce around the infield a bit and, and fit in where we're needed. I, I think he's a really handy player. And at the start, it's a little bit over uh, 10 million per season, I think is, is pretty good value for a, for a guy like Jake Cronin with. Yeah, I agree. I like the player a lot. Um, I do think it's he's a little bit of an atypical fit at first base, which is where he's at right now. Um, but he's could play second base if they needed him to. And he's a good hitter. It's just not kind of in the way that you think of as a traditional first baseman. Mm-hmm. He's more of a contact, high average guy as opposed to overwhelming power but ultimately like you said it turns out to be pretty much all-star caliber production just kind of in an atypical way so i'm fully on board with the chronoworth deal in general i guess what i'm curious then is do you think this has any effect on their long-term plans with hassan kim because they have chronoworth signed up for a long time they have bogarts they have machado signed up you know for a decade plus they have tatis who can obviously play the infield they're going to move him to the outfield for now Kim has a year and a half left, or I guess two two years left. So do you think that this takes them out of the consideration for signing Kim to an extension as well? Do you think that two years from now they're just going to let him walk? Or is it just kind of a, hey, we'll get all these good players, sign them all, and then we'll kind of worry about where they play, as they kind of already have done uh, you know, when the time comes? I think it's probably a bit of the latter. I, I think at the end of the day, Kim's, you know, he's, he's still only been here for, for a couple of seasons. This is his third season in the majors. First season wasn't wasn't incredible. The, the second season last year was, was very strong. And I think the Padres can probably just look at that and say, look, you know, we've got you under contract for a, for a pretty affordable rate for another couple of years. So let's just maybe revisit this in a year or two. If he's, you know, established himself as a as a really strong regular for the Padres, 
then I think you know, as you say, that they've shown a willingness to just spend what what needs to be done to 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 keep a player that that they like a lot. And so I think for Kim, it's probably a case of there's just not really any urgency from the Padres side there, and and they can just sort of you know keep him around and, and then revisit this in a, in a year or so. Yeah, I think that's that's probably right. You know, I, uh, this is an organization that uh, has never really been concerned with positional log jams. I guess they. Mm-hmm. At about five shortstops, and because they missed out on Judge, and well, I guess they tried to sign Trey Turner to begin with, and then they ended up signing Bogarts and just saying, kind of, we'll figure out the defense as it comes. So, plenty of fun there. Well, as I touched on in the uh, earlier in the the podcast, it is we are at that stage of the season where it is very easy to overreact to team records at this point of the season. Uh, we've seen the Rays and Twins jump out to, to nice fast starts. We've also seen the Phillies and Marlins get out of the gates pretty slowly. I think we'd both agree that any team could win or lose four games in a row at any point of the season. It could be, you know, the Rockies winning four. It could be uh, the Dodgers losing four. It happens to everyone. But at what point do you start to get concerned by a team's start? Yeah, well, it's a tough distinction, right? Because I think on the one hand, there's these games count, of course. Mm. And so you don't want to dig yourself too deep a hole. Like, I, didn't, I wasn't convinced that the Phillies were better than the Braves to begin with. I picked Atlanta to win the NL East. Another three games back, which isn't insurmountable, of course, but it just means that a team that I wasn't sure was better than Atlanta to begin with now has to outplay Atlanta by three games for the rest of the season if they want to win the division. And so, of course, these games are concerning because you're losing games and you don't want to dig yourself too deep a hole and get six or seven games back and kind of face an uphill battle that you can't climb out of. But I think it's way too early to be meaningfully changing your opinion on any of these teams. Like, as you said, it's just a few games. These are the most visible games that you'll play probably all year because you check the standings and it's wild. We still don't have a win and it's very conspicuous in a way that it wouldn't be if you lost four in a row in the middle of May. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm not super concerned about Philadelphia necessarily, although the Hoskins injury just at the end of spring training was just horribly timed for them. Yeah. Miami, I don't know, like, the offense there doesn't look any better. It was probably the fourth best team in the NL East to begin with. It's a rough start. Do you think that there's a path back for the Marlins? Or are you kind of like, ah, oh, this is going to be the same sort of year that they've had for a few seasons now? Yeah, I think that. I mean, I I, I like this Marlins side. I kind of like where they're heading. But, I, you know, they don't have enough to compete with the Braves, the Mets, and, and the Phillies in, in my book. Um, so, yeah, I think they were pretty clearly the fourth best team in the the NL East and, and clearly better than the Nationals but for me for them one and four yeah it's 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 no big deal there um yeah again I'm just not really looking into it at, at all and, and I you know I like the Phillies again to to be competitive so I'm not too worried about them um it's a good chance to remind everyone as well that the Nationals were of course 19 and 31 and then went on to win, win a World Series a few years ago so you know slow starts do happen and and, and it is easy to bounce back Pivoting a little bit to players then on that front, when can you start to look into how a player's performing and what indicators do you think you can look into to see, you know, if a player gets off to a rough start to start the season? Yeah, I think it's easier to tell for a pitcher uh, mm-hmm. just because if their, if their stuff looks worse, if their velocity is down two to three miles an hour in their first start or something like that, or all of a sudden a breaking ball that they had that used to be really good just isn't there for a start or two, then that kind of immediately becomes a concern more so than the numbers themselves for a hitter. I think you're talking about at least, you know, six weeks or something like that before you really 
meaningfully change your opinion. I think the first thing that I'm looking for on offense is just, is this guy making more contact? Is there some sort of approach change? Is he laying off more pitches outside the strike zone? Or alternatively, if he's struggling, is he chasing pitches outside the strike zone, swinging and missing dramatically more? If the strikeouts and walks kind of look the same and the batted ball data kind of looks the same, but his batting average on balls in play is down to 150, and so his results are terrible for six weeks, then I'm not really going to change my opinion on that. But if there's some kind of, um, you know, multiple weeks of process change where it looks like, oh, this player legitimately is swinging at different pitches than he used to, then that's kind of where I would be like, okay, maybe there's something here that's that's worth checking in on. All right, we're going to make a slight shift here and let the listeners direct the conversation. We invited you to submit questions via mlbtrpod at gmail.com and got a bundle of great questions. And so we've picked three to take a look at now. So we'll start with uh, Jose's question. He asks about the Marlins starting pitching and wonders whether the Yankees could be interested in a deal around Oswald Peraza and either Edward Cabrera or, or maybe Trevor Rogers heading back to New York. What do you think about that one to start with? Yeah, I don't think they would do it for Rogers. Uh, he was really good in 2021. Hmm. Um, he was not very good last year. And it was he's kind of a wipeout when he was at his best. It was a wipeout changeup, and his breaking ball was pretty good. And he's one of the harder-throwing left-handed starters in the majors. And the velocity is still there. He's sitting like 94 to 95 with a fastball. But the changeup wasn't as good lately, and he kind of tinkered with the breaking pitch a little bit. And so I, I still like Rodgers quite a bit. I'm not out on him or anything. And he would be an interesting buy low target, I would say. But just when you're talking about Peraza's like maybe a top 50 caliber overall prospect. Yeah. And just that would be a non-starter, I think, for me to kind of take the chance on a rebound for Rodgers. I think Rodgers has trade value, quite a bit of trade value, but not at that level. Yeah, I guess it's easy with Parasa as well to sort of, you know, the fact that he got demoted and, and Volpe's their, their shortstop suggests that his, his trade value might be a little bit down. But the reality is this guy's shown in, in a small sample size, to be fair, that he can hit major league pitching. And, and you know, despite a kind of, you know, not great spring training, um, which I don't think we can read a, a lot into, he's still a very good prospect. And so... Um, you know, I, I think he'll be sought after for a lot of teams. So, when you look at the other guy on, uh, you know, that uh, Jose mentioned, Edward Cabrera, do you think that would align a little bit better with a in a Parasa trade? Yeah, I think that's a tougher one. Um, both those players have six years of club control. You know, I don't, I don't mind the framework of this one, but I'm a little bit skeptical that Miami would do this, mm. uh, just because. Cabrera has a chance. He's showed really well as a rookie. That missing potential. He throws really hard. Looks like he could be a potential top of the rotation starter. And so there's more injury risk. I think Peraza is kind of the safer bet because, like you said, he's got a little bit of a track record of hitting at major league pitching and a more stable profile with Peraza, whereas Cabrera feels a little more boomer bust. But I, I just feel like that's the kind of arm that you know, they considered maybe moving him for Brendan Rodgers. I guess there was some talk about that over the offseason. But ultimately, that didn't go through. And they traded Pablo Lopez instead. So there's not as much urgency for Miami to trade a starting pitcher at this point. And so I feel like Cabrera kind of is going to be there for a while. We talk about the Marlins being, you know, pretty clearly the fourth best team in the East. And, and I think one of the things they're going to need if they're going to compete is going to be elite top of the rotation pitching. And, and they've obviously got it with Sandy Alcantara. Um I, I just wonder, I think 
there's more upside there for a guy like Cabrera uh, to stay in Miami. And, and I think, you know, in Miami's chances this year are still kind of difficult in that division. I, I think they'd be better served keeping him. The flip side of that, though, is I do think this Marlins team does need to make moves to, to bolster its offense as well. And, and yes, they traded Pablo Lopez, but, you know, starting pitching is a, is, is a strength for them and, and is a place that if they are going to bolster that offense, dipping into that, you know, starting pitcher depth would be the place to do it. Braxton Garrett is maybe the guy for me where he's a former top 10 pick and was pretty good last year at I think average or better peripherals kind of across the board in a sub four ERA. And he was horrible in spring training and ended up squeezed out of the, the top six in the rotation. He's back in there now because Cueto got hurt. Um, but he feels like the guy where it's like, okay, this guy's still affordable, multiple years of club control, not yet an arbitration, had a former top prospect pedigree, but isn't quite at the level of the guys that you mentioned. And so maybe that's a guy who could have sneaky trade appeal, especially if you're talking about a team like the Yankees who's maybe got luxury tax concerns and doesn't want to take on somebody who's already into their arbitration years, but just wants kind of a stable fourth or fifth starter type. And I think that's a place where Miami could, if they wanted to, look towards dealing Garrett while keeping the kind of higher upside guys that we talked about. All right, Greg asks, given the Cardinals' hitting depth, who are some potential starting pitchers, that's uh, keeping on topic, uh, they could target in trades at the deadline, taking into account other teams' playoff chances and, and years of control uh, remaining on those starting pitchers? Yeah, I like this question a lot. I think it's one of the kind of more fun storylines of the first half is just seeing which starting pitchers are going to shake out. And a lot of it just becomes based on team performance you know, as we talked about with the Angels and Otani, it's sort of the same thing for a lot of these teams. Like, Lucas Giolito is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah. Are the White Sox going to trade him? Well, if they're in contention, no. If they're not, then probably. And so it just depends on how they play. Shane Bieber has a year and a half left. I think that the Guardians are probably going to be good enough that they won't make that move, but it's not out of the question. Obviously, you have the Milwaukee guys, Burns and Woodruff, who are down to a year and a half of control themselves. I can't see Milwaukee trading them to the Cardinals specifically, so I don't think that applies to Greg's question, but they're kind of in the same general boat. You know, with the Rockies trade Hermon Marquez, I doubt it, but again, it's they're kind of coming up on that decision. Are there guys that of that group or other ones that kind of stand out to you as interesting potential trade candidates? Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting uh, starting pitching trade candidates that, that you touch on there. And a lot of those guys on, on teams that are sort of fringy contenders or you know teams that, that we could maybe see going either way this year. A couple of others I'd, I'd be interested to see is potentially Chris Sale, uh, one one to follow. Obviously he had a rough outing in his, his first start, seven runs given up over over three innings. But you know the salary's big there, but I don't really see a path to this Red Sox team competing in the in the AL East this year, and and I, and I wonder if if he can find a way back to you know some semblance of his best, then then maybe the Red Sox try and find a trade partner there. Perhaps they eat down some money, or or, or perhaps he's pitching well enough that um, he's worth it for a team. The other one I wonder about, and you touched on the White Sox. Uh, I'm really interested in them because I I wonder if they fall out of the race if there there's a temptation there for this White Sox team to potentially blow things up a little bit and then I wonder mm-hmm. if Dylan Cease would be on the market at all what do you what do you think about that that I, I feel like that would that would take 
quite the, the haul, and, and I feel like it's very unlikely, but I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, so he would be down to two and a half years of control at that point. He's into arbitration, but can't reach free agency until after 2025. That would be kind of the signifier, like you said, that they're really blowing it up and restarting, right? Yeah. You move Giolito, and it's like, okay, we're still going to keep most of this core, but we're going to ship off the rentals and do kind of soft sell. Then that's one level of, of subtraction. But then to move someone like Cease would be, yeah, we're fully rebuilding. And so I think that if they did that, he would be, I mean, maybe return the biggest uh, package out of any player who's traded at this deadline because he's he's so good and controllable for multiple seasons. So there would be a ton of interest, and I'm sure his name would come up in trade talks. I think they would have to have just a truly disastrous season, though, to yeah. get to that point. What I what I would say on that, though, is I think you know, in, in, you know, Dylan Cease, he's going to appeal to just about every team. But but I think if the Cardinals are attacking starting pitching at the deadline, I think they're going to be more interested in players they can control beyond just this season um, because you know they they do have uh, a little bit of a roster crunch there when when it, when it comes to the, this winter they're, they're gonna you know a lot of their players their starting pitchers are, are pending free agents and and i expect them to you know i could see a guy like jordan montgomery re-signing on a on a you know jamison tie on style deal uh for, for four years but I, I think they will be more interested in guys they can control beyond uh, next winter rather than just a pure rental what do you think yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm sure that they'll look at both markets because that's their job. Um, but yeah, I think in an ideal world, like you said, uh, the chance to kind of lock up, whether it's both Montgomery, there's room for both a Montgomery extension and a trade for a controllable starting pitcher, just considering that basically they're down to Michaelis and Stephen Matz yeah. as yeah. starters beyond this season who are guaranteed to be productive MLB pitchers because Flaherty's going to be a free agent. Montgomery would be if there's no extension and Wainwright's retiring. All right, final question. James asks, can we expect the Dodgers to be active at the trade deadline or are they pinching every possible penny for Otani this winter? Yeah, I mean, they should be active, right? Especially if they're in a tight kind of division race with San Diego, which most people expect they will be. Um, I obviously expect them to make a, a strong run at Otani next winter, and I do think that played a part in their relatively conservative offseason. Um, but that doesn't, they can be active without locking themselves down on significant future commitments, right? So you can trade for an impending free agent or trade for a player who's into arbitration and kind of has a, a below market salary that's a few million dollars that's not going to significantly inhibit. Um, their kind of long-term financial flexibility and leave plenty of budgetary room for Otani. So I don't think they're going to trade for Javier Baez and take on the $80 million that's left on his contract for four more years or something like that. Um, but I do think that they'll be very aggressive, assuming that they're in contention for kind of shorter-term upgrades. Yeah, and the thing with the Dodgers, they have a ton of money coming off the books uh, at the end of this year. And, and so... You know, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to go out and, and trade for someone with a really big contract, but I, I think you know they'll, they'll be aggressive at this deadline. I, I fully expect them to be in the race. I, I like the Padres a little bit more this year, but I, I think the Dodgers are going to be very much in that race, and, and so expect them to be active at the trade deadline as buyers. But 
I, I don't think that, that really affects their plans for Otani. I, I think the, the Otani to the Dodgers fit makes uh, a ton of sense from geographical uh, perspective, from a, a competitive standpoint, and, and, and obviously from a financial standpoint as well. So um, I, I think, yeah, you know, if, if Otani's available at the deadline, I'd fully expect the Angels, uh, sorry, the Dodgers to, to be right in the mix. And if not, I expect them to, to be keen on other players and, and, and make a serious run at Otani at the winter. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you kind of entirely on that one. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate you uh, coming on the uh, the first podcast, the first MLB Trade Rumors podcast. Yeah, it was a blast. I'm looking forward to doing it again, and hopefully, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, we'll have uh, better conclusions to draw than, well, it's been four games, and I haven't changed my opinion on anything. So, can't wait. Anthony Franco, MLB Trade Rumors writer, joining me on the show this week. That's all we've got time for today, but really enjoyed diving into the storylines from around baseball. Make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss the next episode. We'll be back in a week's time, but if that's too long, you can sign up for Cliff Corcoran's daily MLB Trade Rumors newsletter. It's completely free and arrives in your inbox each weekday morning. You'll find that at mlbtraderumors.com forward slash newsletter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week on the MLB Trade Rumors podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Remember to visit mlbtraderumors.com and follow us on Twitter at MLB Trade Rumors. 